Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. My name is Simon Head. I'm a mixed martial arts journalist from the UK, as is my good buddy Chamat Sandu, who joins me via the magic of Skype. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, Simon. No UFC this past weekend, which meant I got a decent night's sleep on a Saturday night, so I'm refreshed, re-energized, and raring to go. And uh, just as well, because we've got a, a win-double weekend this weekend. It is International Fight Week in Las Vegas. Last year, it was a triple header. This year, they've scaled it back a little bit. There's no expo this year. You've still got the, uh, the Hall of Fame ceremony that will take place, but we have two live events on Friday night. We have the Ultimate Fighter finale, headlined by Michael Johnson versus Justin Gaethje at Lightweight, uh, featuring Britain's own Mark Diacasey. And then on the Saturday night, again in Las Vegas, UFC 213, Nunes versus Shevchenko. The UFC Women's Bantamweight title is on the line. We will talk about both events, go through both fight cards, and uh, splitting those two, we will answer the best of your questions uh, as tweeted to us via our, our Twitter account, at the Brit Pack MMA. Let's launch straight into it, Sandu, shall we? We've got the Ultimate Fighter finale on the Friday. Now, I know you've not been following the, uh, the tough series uh, all the way through. I have to admit, I have been. Um, and you know what? It's been good. And mm. I know tough has been a little bit up and down over recent years, and sometimes it can be a little bit a bit tough. This year has been a good one. I've got to be honest, or this, this particular season has been a good one. Uh, we don't know the, uh, the identity of both finalists yet. We know one of them. One of them is Diego Lima. Younger brother of Bellator welterweight champion Douglas Lima. Um, he will be competing in that welterweight finale. He will be taking on a winner to be decided uh, on this week's episode of the show. So do keep an eye out for that uh, if you are a night owl who wants to stay up. Or just record it and watch it back the next day. Then you'll know who Diego Lima is facing. That is scheduled as the co-main event. So we'll leave that to one side, Sandy, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen in that one. Let's look at the main event. Michael Johnson versus Justin Gaethje. Gaethje making his UFC debut. Uh, former champion in World Series of Fighting. We know that World Series of Fighting has now rebranded itself. Uh, Gaethje became available, went straight to the UFC, and they've given him uh, a perennial top 10 guy in the menace, Michael Johnson. Uh, there was a little bit of heat in the press conference, a little bit of uh, back and forth between the pair. Uh, and there was a pre-event press conference, I think, about a week ago. And they were jawing at each other during that as well. Um, it seems to be bubbling up nicely. And I think this is going to be a decent main event to kick off International Fight Week. What do you make of it? Yeah, I agree. I think this is going to end up being Justin Gaethje's kind of coming out party, especially for the international audience that the UFC kind of gets... Um, because obviously, you know, with WSOF, you know, yeah, there's some bits and pieces you can catch online, YouTube and, and social media. But in terms of a, a live stream, you know, there isn't a broadcast deal here in the UK for the WSOF. Um, so we never really got to see any of Justin Gaethje's um, fights live. But if form has got anything to do with the outcome of this fight, then I think what you're going to be looking for here is a Justin Gaethje whitewash of a performance. This guy is coming in 17 and 0 undefeated and regardless of you know where you fought who you fought for getting a record at 17 and 0 is you know nothing to be kind of um, you know looked down upon and adversely Michael Johnson's 
in a situation where I think he really needs a win. And he's fortunate that he's got a main event opportunity here, having lost three of his last four. You know, he's coming off a spanking from Khabib Namagameda. We were both there in New York uh, last November to witness that one, Simon, at UFC 205. And, and you're right, you know, things have kind of been bubbling, you know, really nicely between these two since the press conference. Um, and, uh, you know, we're coming into fight week now. I'm sure there'll be a few more words exchanged. And we'll see how Justin Gaethje performs. You know, the, you know, they say that there's always octagon jitters. He seems like the kind of dude that kind of takes everything into his stride. Doesn't really feel like to me that he's going to let the occasion get the best of him. And I think he's going to be raring to go, kind of really prove for the world that he's, you know, one of the best lightweights in the world. And even though he hasn't fought for the UFC before, you know, he has fought some real top 10, top 15, top 20 guys. Um, and it's not a kind of padded record, so to speak. So I'm expecting big things out of Gaethje. What about you, Sai? Yeah, I'm excited to see because it's very difficult because we don't quite know where the level of his opposition stacks up in relation to the UFC. The UFC's lightweight division, and we've spoken about it sort of ad nauseum on this show almost, one of the most talent-stacked weight classes in the sport of mixed martial arts is the UFC's lightweight division. Uh, top 15, they're all killers. They're all just top-of-the-milk fighters. They're superb Superb mixed martial artist, and uh, Gaethje's just going to parachute in and take on uh, an established guy in Michael Johnson, who's been in there with some of the best in the world. He's lost to a few, he's beaten a few as well. He's right in there. Um, but you take a look at Gaethje's record, as you say, seventeen and 0. 14 and 0, 17 have come by by knockout or TKO, which is astonishing. And uh, you know, he's, he was the WSF lightweight champion, defended it five times. Um, so he's, you know, it would have been six, but um, I think his fight with Melvin Gillard, I think Gillard missed weight, which meant it was a, non, a non-title fight. So effectively, he's defended the belt six times uh, consecutively. So he's got that championship mentality. Um, he's never gone beyond three rounds, even though he's been in, in, uh, in champion, I think... Uh, Championship fights. I don't know if they do five-round championship fights in WSOF. I think they do, um, but he's never gone beyond three. So he's 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 one of these guys. He goes in there and he just takes people apart. He's exciting to watch. Um, and uh, the thing that really underpins his game is he's got a really strong wrestling background. He's a former college All-American, um, and he's got that. And with that, he's able to then dictate whether the fight stays standing or not. Now, Michael Johnson's a decent wrestler himself, but he's more known for his striking. I think it's a fascinating contest. I can see Gaethje bulldozing his way through Michael Johnson, unless he gets caught. But he's shown no signs of being seriously damaged so far in his in his career. He's been through a couple of decent fights, but he's not really looked in serious, serious trouble. So I'm looking forward to it. And another top, top, top drop draw fighter dropping into that 155-pound division, um, as if that division couldn't be exciting enough as it is, uh, dropping him in there. And if he goes through Michael Johnson in uh, an impressive fashion, that throws him straight into the top five for me. Um, so looking forward to seeing how he gets on. Speaking of lightweights, uh, we just mentioned Diego Lima is going to be competing in the co-main. That's a welterweight fight uh, in the tough finale. The next fight down on the card features Britain's own Mark Jacquesi. The Bone Crusher is back in action against Drakkar Closer or Close um, at 155 pounds. 
I guess this is where we start waxing lyrical about Mark Ducasey, Sandu. Um, those of us who uh, are from the UK and have seen him fight a few times uh, domestically and then in the UFC, we know a little bit more about him perhaps than the American audience. For those American listeners out there, and I know we've got a couple, just from your own perspective, explain just what the ceiling is for a guy like Mark Ducasey. Well, I don't know what the ceiling is, Simon, and that's what's so interesting and exciting about Mark Diacasey because we just spoke about Justin Gaethje, who's got a 17-0 record. Mark Diacasey is also undefeated, and he's 12-0, but he's already been in the UFC uh, for just under a year now. And what I love about the last year for Mark Diacasey is the fact that this is going to be his fourth fight in the UFC, and it's not even been a full year yet. You know, this is incredible. He made his debut last October at UFC 204. Then he fought in December. He just fought in March, and he's about to fight again. You know, there's there's nothing probably stopping him trying to get a fifth one in before the four years up. You know, he's consistent. He's made the move over to to Florida at American Top Team. He's getting some of the best kind of. I suppose if anyone looking at uh, fighters coming from outside of uh, of the US or perhaps Brazil that perhaps doesn't have a, a traditional grappling background or education in the, the grappling art, so to speak. And then you look at his record of so many knockouts. You know, going over there to AT&T, you know you're going to get some top-quality, grade-A wrestling um, uh, training. So I think that's going to help round out his overall game. And I think this is another great opportunity for him. It's a main card fight. It's just behind that co-main event slot. It's, a, an, it's another, uh, you know showcase of uh, fighters from the lightweight division like you said he's definitely marketable you know everyone will you know remember him because he's got that red streak going through his or who knows maybe he'll change the color this week uh in in las vegas and i like the fact that he's in the mix in a big showcase in las vegas you know it'll get more eyeballs on him um hopefully he can kind of network and you know get more sponsors and get more media attention there's a great little uh, viral video going around at the moment. If you just go to Mark Diacasey's Twitter handle, Instagram or Facebook, it's almost like a, a, a promo reel coming into this fight that I think was shot over in Florida at AT&T. And that's what I'm talking about. It's these little things that are starting to help uh, establish his brand, uh, get more of his personality out there, and just get more people interested in, and kind of uh, emotionally invested in his story as he starts to make his way up the lightweight division. Um, I'm expecting another knockout finish, if, I, if, I, if I'm being honest. And uh, he's a very, very exciting fighter to watch because you just, just don't know what's, what he's going to do next. No, he's, he's, he's gold. He's, he's, he's a great interview. He's got this couldn't give, a, couldn't give a shit attitude, which, you know, he, he just goes around, big smile on his face. Last time we saw him, Sander, we were in, uh, we were in, in London and we were working for Junkie and we'd, we'd managed to basically bag... Uh, the boardroom, they had all these meeting rooms in the fighter hotel and we'd managed to secure the boardroom to do a lot of our pre, uh, pre-fight pre sit-down interviews. Um, I think you spoke with Corey Anderson and, and some of the other guys. I spoke with uh, Jimmy Manor and a few of the other guys. But we're sitting there, we're kind of milling around, just having a chat and there was this voice just come just, just come through the doorway. Simon Head, you're talking shit. I was like, what? What's that? You're talking rubbish. You're talking, and I said, "Who the hell's that?" And then, and then Mark Jacasey sticks his ear around and goes, "You're right, buddy. How's it going on?" He's like, he just doesn't care. He's just, he's just got this brilliant, wonderful, laid-back attitude. It feels like he's still brand new in the UFC, but as you say, he's got four, four, four fights on his record, 
four wins. Uh, and the last performance was a real standout performance against Timu Pakalan, where um, he was throwing... He was basically looked like... If uh, if you were playing Mark Dukesi as like a video game character, you were pulling out all the special moves and like there was a two-touch spinning back kick. Uh, there was another sort of flying hitch kick that he attempted. Uh, and then as, as uh, Packerland went to close the distance, Dukesi just nailed him with this fastball right hand that came out of nowhere and down he goes like this big Finnish, oak, uh, Finnish fir tree. Bang, down he goes. Fight over. Amazing performance. Breakdancing celebration, everyone going crazy. I think he could go a long, long way. Even in that shark tank of a lightweight division, he's in the right place for his training. British rest, uh, so British fighters tend to get a bit of a knock on them because their ground game or their wrestling game isn't as strong. He, as you said, Sandu, he's in the right spot. He's in the right spot to train with some of the some of the really, really best guys. And it's not just about uh, training with your immediate training partners. It's other sparring and. You know, ATT have got access to so much good sparring over there. They've got great facilities over there. And uh, I think it's only going to help his career. And uh, Drakkar close uh, 7-0-1. Fights out of the MMA lab. So very well-respected gym. He hasn't lost, but he hasn't been operating at the same level that, that Mark Jacquesi's operated at. He's only had one fight in the UFC. That was a decision win over Devin Powell. Um, and that was back in January in Phoenix. But... Yeah, this is this is a jump up for uh, for Drakkar Close and, and Mark Dukesi, As long as he's got his game head on, and he's, he's been on every fight we've seen from him so far, then I don't see anything other than another win for the Bone Crusher, and we'll see just how far he can go. That fight is going to be one to watch because Dukesi's got an eye for the spectacular. If you're a fan of just knock down, drag out slugfests, then the light heavyweight fight that precedes it is could be right up your right up your strasse as they say in germany jared uh, cannonier against steve bossy uh and uh, cannonier is, be- is beginning to make a name for himself as someone who just goes in there and throws leather with anybody um he's exciting to watch steve bossy is very much exactly the same he'll just walk in there his fight with sean o'connell i think it was last year it was one of the craziest slugfests i think i've ever seen um, so I'm really looking forward to that one, Sandu. If you've got a, if you've got a pick for that fight, it's basically rock 'em sock 'em robots until one of them falls over. I think. Yeah, flip a coin, flip a coin, Simon. Um, these guys are going to be swinging leather. I can't see this going past uh, the first round, maximum second round, definitely not the distance. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a fun fight. It's a it's slotted in nicely on that main card where. And it's kind of funny, this, you know. I'm sure we're going to get to one or two more fights on this card. Some of the names that are scattered throughout this entire card, all the way down from the the, the fight pass prelims, is quite surprising when you think about some of the marquee value they hold, how many fights they've had in the UFC. Some of these guys have, you know, fought in pay per view main events, and it's yeah, it's just uh, yeah, looking down on it as I, as I am right now, it's surprising. But yeah, Cannonier Bosse, don't blink. Yeah, Brad Tavares versus Elias Theodorou. All I'm going to say in that fight is bet the over. Bet the over in that fight. Elias Theodorou, uh, great value on Twitter. Great company to chat to as well. We met him in, in Belfast uh, when he was a guest fighter. And he was, he, was, uh, he was good company to have a chat with when we were over there. Uh, taking on Brad Tavares, who is 
very experienced, very seasoned, and as tough as they come in that 185 pound division. I fancy that one to go all the way to the scorecards. Jordan Johnson, Marcel Fortuna kicks off the main card at 205. Sandu, we talked. You mentioned there about some of the names uh, lower down the card. Angela Hill versus Ashley Yoda, I think, will be a fun fight. That's a striker versus grappler fight. But let me throw it right down to the first fight of the night. Tisha Torres, Juliana Lima as the first fight of the night. That's that's a decent fight to kick things off. Yeah, and that's the one that caught my eye the most. And I'm super surprised that Tisha Torres is going to be on the curtain jerker here. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm actually quite shocked, if I'm honest. I thought, you know, with the way, you know, the, the women have been, I suppose, kind of like almost a, a fairy tale story in some ways for the UFC over the last two, three years, that when you've got, you know, two of the best in, uh, in Tisha Torres and Julia Lima, maybe you'd want to put them a little bit higher on the card. And, you know, without, you know, any female fights on the main card, I thought you've got three, you've got three fights here. You've got six females, three fights, and none of them are going to be making it onto the FS1 main card where traditionally um, FS1 cards with female fighters on them have actually done pretty well on the ratings, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and the UFC are still in a situation where they're trying to promote the women's divisions. You may have some of these fighters that might either move up or drop down in the, the flyweight division that's just around the corner. So that's going to need some help and promotion to, to kind of get that off the ground. And I'm just I'm just a bit gobsmacked to be honest that that's the curtain jerker. What it does mean though is if you're a real fight fan, you're going to want to make sure you tune in from the very first fight. So so if that's the tactic that the UFC have deployed here to make sure everyone tunes in, you know, right from the very first fight on UFC Fight Pass, then job done. Yeah, I think um, Tisha Torres has come in as a short notice replacement. Um, Juliana Lima was due to fight Amanda Rebas, who I think was due to make a UFC debut. Not a good look for someone about to make a UFC debut. She got flagged for a potential anti-doping violation before her UFC debut. Uh, USADA got to her before Juliana Lima did. So she got punted from the card. Um, and that was back on... Let me look back. Let me look back. It was reported on the 21st that Tisha Torres would step in to replace her. So, um, so Torres is coming in at about three weeks' notice. Um, which, you know, I think she's just picked up a master's degree, if, I'm, if, if, if I remember rightly. She's been studying um, while while competing. She's been studying for a, for a master's. I believe she's got that now, so she can now turn her attention full-time to fighting. I think she's just got engaged as well. I think she's got engaged to Raquel Pennington. So uh, it's all going on. Uh, in Tisha Torres' life, and she's just stepped in at short notice to face Juliana Lima. That's the first fight of the night. That'll be a decent fight. Bet the over on that one as well. Torres loves a decision. Um, and uh, the other fight on the on the fight past prelims is another one worth watching. Uh, Gray Maynard, who's been around forever, and with all respect to him, appears to be in the sort of the uh, the autumn of his career now. Uh, but he's still sticking around the UFC, trying to trying to get relevant fights, taking on Teruto Ishihara, um, the uh, the lovable, crazy Japanese featherweight who uh, we had some fun with over in uh, in Belfast uh, when, he, when he fought Artem Lobov uh, last November. Um, that'll be an entertaining one, Sandu. Is it going to be the young gun or is it going to be the old, the old head who wins that one? 
See, I'm really not sure about this one, Simon, because like on the one side, I look at Gray Maynard and I think, well, you know, uh, he's he's definitely at the tail end of his career. I don't know how many more fights he's got left in him. Um, his record as of late has been uh, pretty much abysmal, if I'm being honest. And then on the other side of the card, you've got Taruto Ishiara, who's so bloody unpredictable. You just don't know what you're going to get out of him. You know, he's a lot of fun fight week. His personality is just you know out there is one of the best. To, you know, in, you know, in a crowd of what 400 plus fighters to break through, get noticed, um, get some headlines, and almost become a bit of a cult favorite or a fan favorite amongst the MMA community. You know, it takes some doing, and for him, it has come so natural, right? And um, so I'm really not sure because I think skills, skill set wise, Gray Maynard has him, right? Um, but you know, with that youth and that exuberance and and that stamina and that and that high level energy that Taruto has, maybe that'll get the job done. I don't know. Maybe he'll be just a little bit more active and just be a step too quick for Gray. I'm not too sure. But that's what makes this fight a little bit more intriguing for me. For, for me. But I'm, I'm really not sure which way at the moment I'm kind of swaying. And I, I guess I'll have to see them on the scales come Friday to kind of see what they look like and get a feel for things. Yeah, I'm very much uh, back in Ishihara in this one. Uh, Maynard, Maynard's form, yeah, he's, he's lost five out of his last six. Um, six out of his last eight. And has won twice in his last nine fights, which uh, isn't a great record. Uh, and very, I can't think of too many other UFC fighters who would still be on the books with a record like that. But I think there's a lot of respect for Gray Maynard within the within the halls of the UFC, and, and justifiably so. Um, and the fights he's lost have been against good, good opposition. Frankie Edgar, TJ Grant, Nate Diaz, Ross Pearson, Alex Yakovlev, and Ryan Hall. Um, you can see the opposition is starting to tail. But Teresa Ishihara, yeah, he lost to Artem Lobov. But Lobov was hitting him with bombs in that fight, and he didn't go. He just, he, you know, he didn't get finished. And prior to that fight, Ishihara beat his previous two opponents by knockout. So I'm going with Ishihara to finish this one. Maynard is starting to get hit a lot in his fights, um, which is a worry. Um, and I fear that this might be the one that eventually puts a puts uh, puts the line under his UFC career. We will see. We've written off people before. About four or five years ago, I said Dan Henderson was finished. And then he went and nearly killed Hector Lombard um, in 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 a in a in a manner that I don't think I've ever seen since in uh, in the UFC octagon. So I'm not necessarily the best person to listen to when it comes to predicting when people should retire. But Lobov versus Gray Maynard will will be part of that fight pass prelim card. Very quickly, just the three fights, just to quickly touch on those, so we've covered them off. Angela Hill, Ashley Yoda, that'll be fun. Striker v. Grappler. Ed Herman versus CB Dolloway. Battle between uh, two former Ultimate Fighter competitors, I believe, and two veterans of that UFC middleweight division. And Jessica Iyer versus Aspen Ladd at Bantamweight will uh, kick off that FS1 prelim card. That'll all be available for you in the UK on BT Sport. I think it'll be BT Sport 2. So the first two fights will be on Fight Pass exclusively, and then the the Fight Part sorry the Fox Sports prelims will be available on BT Sport Two and Fight Pass, and then the main card will be exclusive in the UK on BT Sport. That is UFC, and then he said UFC Fight Night. Is it is it labelled as a fight night? It's not, is it? It's just called the Tough Finale, isn't it? I think uh, so. Yeah, yeah, the Ultimate Fighter Twenty Five Finale. I think is the official name. That's on Friday night at T Mobile Arena. 
Um, and uh, if you're going out there for International Fight Week and you want to see some fights, I reckon there's half a chance of getting tickets for that one. I reckon it's a big arena. They'll have mm-hmm. it all. They'll they'll have it configured for the pay per view the next day. Yep. So you would think walk up tickets will probably be available for that one. So without, you, without a doubt, one hundred percent. So if you're in Vegas that week and you haven't got tickets, um, get yourself down to the T-Mobile Arena box office and see if you can bag yourself some seats. I have I have a, I have a feeling you'll be successful, uh, and you'll see a, a, fight, a, a fight card with some fun looking fights on it. It's as as we said there, you know, maybe not that much in the way of A-list opposition. But there's some interesting fights on that card and some interesting interesting fighters. Gaethje's debut. Dear Casey looking to do a bit more. Cannoneer and Bosse just throwing kitchen sink at each other. It's going to be a good night. Um, that's Friday night. We will talk about Saturday night in a second. But uh, by why have a bit of respite? Let's, uh, let's answer a few questions, Sandy. Absolutely. And as always, it's at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. You can get a hold of us and uh, shoot us your questions throughout the week. And when I give it that, the heart symbol, the likey, the, uh, the Mario Yamsaki heart, that's when you know uh, that we've, we've recognized uh, the question and we're going to be uh, asking it in uh, the following week's episode. So without further ado, the first question uh, comes in from Nathan Clapson. What chance do you give Bobby Knuckles of winning a belt and giving Australia its first champion? Now, I'm going to pause on that and we'll address that question in our next segment um because you know i think that's going to be a a big talking point when we look at that ufc 213 fight card uh but moving on then from there will nick diaz fight again so stockton 209 bad boy nick diaz is in some trouble simon he's missed out on uh his, his whereabouts for random out of competition testing by USADA on three occasions. So that's a, it's a three strikes and you're out rule. He's already suffered uh, quite a bunch of suspensions from uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, for cases you know, involving marijuana. Um, we don't know what the actual punishment from USADA will eventually be. Um, Dana White, in an interview with our friend John Morgan, um, from this past week said that he doesn't believe Nick Diaz will ever fight again. Uh, that was more related to uh, Dana White's feelings of Diaz not just having the hunger required to to compete anymore, feel this more of a young man's game. But given what we've got to deal with at the moment, given where Nick Diaz is at the moment in, in his life, and what, what I mean by that is if you follow his social media, he's basically, um, you know, in the clubs in Vegas or in LA, um, I'm sure he's got a lot of brand endorsement deals um, with vendors and service providers within the marijuana community, especially with the uh, weed being recreationally uh, legalized in Nevada this past week. That's going to be massive for the um, the business side of things um, in the in the marijuana game. But bringing it all back, Simon, and I let you perhaps tackle this first. In your opinion, as we kind of speak here. Uh, in early July 2017, will Nick Diaz fight again? Yes, he will. But it might not be with the UFC. That's my thinking. Um, first off, the whereabouts thing is is an important part of anti-doping uh, testing because you don't want people running from tests. In this particular case, I certainly don't think that that is... Uh, 
any kind of uh, possibility here. Nick Diaz, um, I just think that he's 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 basically he he's behaving like a retired fighter already. You know, he's not he's not shown any obvious desire to come back. Um, there are there, you know maybe there aren't the fights there for him in the UFC. I don't know. He just he just doesn't seem overly concerned about it. And you Usada haven't been able to track him down now. I don't think he'll get a two-year ban for that. I think he'll get like nine to twelve months, if I'm honest, um, because it counts as a failed test, but you've not failed for anything. So, like, if you fail, if 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 your um, sample test positive, your suspension uh, then will vary depending on the substance that you tested positive for. So, um, for example, if you tested positive for um, a synthetic anabolic steroid for example or sorry a synthetic testosterone or anabolic steroid something clearly performance enhancing bang you get two years if there is a masking agent present bang it's four years right so no messing about that's very clear it's in the it's in the uh it's in the legislature so so to speak it's in the it's in the rule book if you're failing on the basis of a whereabouts failure three three no-shows then they can't do you for a performance-enhancing drug. So it's unlikely they're going to give him two years. He also has no previous with USADA. If it, if it was with Nevada, then you know they've got this laundry list of previous tests that they can drag up. With USADA, they can say, well, you know, we've not, you know, you've basically got a clean record with us up to this point. So they don't have to bring the other stuff into account if they don't need to. Um, they can take it into account if they want, but I don't think they're they're compelled to. So I would anticipate that, that any suspension would be maybe even six six to twelve months. I don't. I'd be very surprised if they give him any more than that, and I'd actually be surprised if it was as much as twelve. Um, which means the door is still very much open for him to fight again. If you got a two year ban, I think that's him done. Now the question is, does he still want to fight again, and will the UFC find him a fight that he wants? Or will he get himself out of his UFC contract? You can imagine him going over and having a fight in Rising, can you? You could, you know, some crazy fight over there. Um, like he's fought for Scott Coker before. I don't think the UFC would release him to go and join Bellator. So I think the UFC liked Diaz, even though he's been a little little tricky to deal with. But I think they basically like him. So I just don't know whether he's going to fight in the UFC again. So if it's will he fight again in the UFC? I'll say I don't think so. But will he fight again? Yeah, I think he might. I think we might see him in some Banzai crazy shit over in uh, in uh, Japan in like two, three years' time, fighting some sumo wrestler or something. It'll be something crazy like that. But yeah, from a legitimate standpoint, I don't think we're going to see him in the octagon again. I tend to disagree. I think we will see him in the octagon, and I think we will see him fight in the UFC. I, I just can't. For the life of me, see the UFC releasing a Diaz brother, Nick Hornet, ever personally. Um, even if they've got him locked up in a contract, you know he's the one that's messed up here. You know if he doesn't agree with the the USADA policy and the rules and the regulations, you, you've got to be talking about this and piping up about it beforehand. You know this is what you signed up for. Everyone knows what the what, what the situation is. You can't then you know in retrospect be like, oh, I didn't know or. I don't agree with it. It doesn't, it doesn't wash well with people. Uh, so that's just not how it works. Now, with that being said, I do agree with you, Simon. I think he's going to get a slap on the wrist 
um, retrospective to what kind of punishment that the you know you saw are going to dish out to him. I just see, I just think that there's fighters within the UFC that will match up well with Nick Diaz to do very very well on pay per view, and regardless of what endorsement deals he may have within the the marijuana industry, I still feel like you know. While he's still young enough, he's creeping up to those to his like mid to late thirties now. To get a pay per view, you know, big payday in the fight business, I'm talking about you know another fight with George Saint Pierre. That will that's number one on the list. That will you know, no doubt sell a lot of tickets. You could even run it back with Anderson Silva, given how that fir- that first fight um, you know ended up. There's always been talk about Michael Bisping fight. That would be so much fun. You know, with those two going at it, you know, back and forth in the build-up to that fight, and then you've always got a, a rematch with uh, ruthless Robbie Lawler, uh, you know, who lost to Nick Diaz way back when. So you've got a handful of fights there, and I think you know, Nick Diaz and the Diaz brothers, you know, they tend to kind of just at this stage of their career anyway, only dip in and only come back when it's a big payday, and perhaps they're kind of running through the the, the funds, so, so to speak, from their previous payday. Uh, there's been some you know, reports recently that Nick Diaz, oh, not Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, um, is uh, going to be battling some some legal, well, not battling, he's going to be in a legal situation with some of some former management former manager, company. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to cost him a pretty penny, and maybe that'll uh, bring him back to the fight game a little bit sooner just to kind of re-up on, the, on his... Uh, on his funds in the bank account. So let's see. Let's see what happens. I've got a feeling, you know, if you sort of gave him six months, nine months, even a year, that's not going to deter uh, the UFC from uh, releasing Nick Diaz or even, you know, um, give any kind of reason for Nick Diaz to not want to fight again. He'll take that, carry on doing what he's doing right now, come back, and, you know, the likes of the George St. Pierre's of the world and the Michael Bisping's and the, and the Robbie Lawler's will still be, still be here in a year from now. So, but I think we can both agree on one thing, and it's the fight game is a lot more fun when uh, a Diaz brother, Nick or Nate, are involved with the UFC. There's a fight coming up. It, you know, it's it's just a lot more fun. Amen to so, that. Fingers crossed, uh, he does make a comeback and does fight sooner rather than later. Final question, bit of a weird one, Simon. So maybe you can kind of weigh in and help me out here. It comes from Stephen Murray. And he says, is Sandu excited for UFC 213? <laughs> I, hope, I hope not, as the best events are the ones he's not excited for. So it's always the way, isn't it, Simon? You know, you look at an event on paper and you think to yourself, uh, I don't, I'm not too sure. I'm not, I'm not really sure about this one. Should I skip it? Should I watch it on, uh, on Sunday morning with my breakfast and just kind of look at the results and skip to the fights that you know you've got a guaranteed finish or what should you do? Or are you going to really stay up until four, five, six in the morning and get through uh, what on paper, you know, isn't exactly the most kind of mouth-watering, tantalizing, exciting, you know, fight card. And it's always those cards that end up being the ones that have like record-breaking number of submissions, record-breaking number of knockouts, um, you know, give you knockout of the year, you know, performances and fight of the year candidates and stuff like that. But have I started to get a bit of a reputation now, Simon, where I'm kind of like down on cards that eventually end up being blockbusters. I, I, I couldn't possibly speak for our listeners, but it has been pointed out to me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was asked to me, I don't know if this is the same question from like two weeks ago, but I think Stephen may have tweeted me a very similar question. 
Um, and uh, I answered on your behalf and basically said that you thought that the card, but based on your track record and and the fact that it's been suggested that when you're really excited for a card, it, it flops. So I, on on your behalf, I said that you've 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 confided in me and told me that you think that the card sucks and that there's no exciting fights on there, which guarantees that it's going to do really well. So so that's that's basically that's basically it. Um, but no, I. I <laughs> How can you not be excited for the two pay-per-views that are coming up? This one looks pretty thin by comparison to 214, which is insanely stacked. Um, even more quality fight has been added to it since last week. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think I think this one will be a good one. And um, I mean, first off, let's have the definitive Sandu take. This is going to be a good one, isn't it? It actually is going to be a good one. So I hope I haven't jinxed it. I hope, you know... Come next Monday, we're not looking back at UFC 213 and uh, looking at a card that's got like, you know, 12 decisions. Because um, I'm not taking responsibility <laughs> for that whatsoever. Um, but no, look, am I, am I as pumped and excited as I have been for previous international fight week pay-per-views and previous July 4th uh, offerings from the UFC? No. Comparative to the offerings of 2017, however, this is a really, really great pay-per-view offering. And I can't wait to get into it. And I guess that's the, the next segment, right? Look at that. This is almost like we've rehearsed this. <laughs> Obviously, we haven't. But, yeah, we'll kick straight on, shall we? Uh, UFC 213, T-Mobile Arena, uh, Saturday night. Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko is the main event. But this is a two-title main card because the co-main event is a fight for the interim middleweight championship of the world. Yoel Romero versus Robert Whittaker, even though he doesn't want to be known as Bobby Knuckles. We're going to call him Bobby Knuckles because it's a cool nickname. Uh, But let's talk about Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko. I am, I'm really excited for this fight because, because of what happened in the first fight. Mm-hmm. Amanda Nunes won the first fight by decision. She won the first round clearly. She edged the second round, but the fight had started to turn by the end of that second round. And Shevchenko was the dominant fighter in the third round. And uh, it was because Nunes had done just enough in that second round that she got the nod uh, on all three cards by unanimous decision. I thought that the decision was correct at the time. Um and I've seen it back since, and I still think it was the right decision. However, if that fight had gone over another two rounds, Shevchenko, I think, would have stopped Nunes. I really do believe that. Um, and what we're going to see on Saturday night is Nunes versus Shevchenko over five rounds. And the question now is, has Amanda Nunes improved their game to the level that she can basically stop Shevchenko in the first three rounds? Or are we going to see a similar fight play out with Shevchenko coming on strong towards the end? It's a fascinating contest, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. How are you, like, first impressions leading into this one, Sandu? Do you think Nunes is going to hang on to her title? Or do you think Shevchenko might just steal it away from her on Saturday night? You know what, Simon? I'm really not sure. And that's what makes it so fascinating and so so compelling because it's going to be Amanda Nunes' toughest uh, test to date 
although she's kind of fought her before, like you said, Simon, it's a whole new ball game because it's a five rounder. What Nunez kind of has, I suppose, in in her favour this time round is she's now got used to performing in a main event slot on a blockbuster event. She's fought Misha Tate. She's fought Ronda Rousey. It doesn't get bigger than that. It doesn't. It doesn't get bigger than two of the the biggest names in women's MMA history right there and then. It's it's amazing to see also. I know last summer it was a little bit by hook and crook. She ended up finding herself in that main event slot of UFC 200. But to be in the headline slot, we were just talking about you know, the night before, the tough finale. You've got three women's fights, none of which are on the main card. And then 24 hours later, you've got the main event of the UFC's International Fight Week pay-per-view headlined by two, two women, which is amazing. And for Amanda now to have done that, you know, back to back on two July Fourth offerings is, is is awesome to see, but she's got her hands full, Simon. She really has got her hands full with Valentina Shevchenko, who, after losing uh, to Amanda the first time, you know, she didn't exactly have it easy herself. She fought Holly Holm and Juliana Pena, and she looked really great in both those performances. Looked really, really awesome. And you know, some sometimes people forget that she's got you know a stellar. Muay Thai record as well and look if you're a betting man or a betting woman um, you're going to put money on Amanda Nunes early right round one round two maybe but if you're going to put money on if you're going to put money on Shevchenko then you're looking at maybe fourth round maybe fifth round maybe a decision does she have enough to put Amanda Nunes away I think she does especially in those later rounds and you know, I'm I'm really interested interested to see what Nunez's gas tank is in those championship rounds if she can't get it finished early. And again, these are all the questions you know that make this fight so so interesting. As we are at the beginning of fight week and recording this show, Simon, I'm still leaning a little bit towards Shevchenko here. I, I think she's gonna. I think she's she's got what it takes. You know, um, I think she's gonna be Amanda Nunez's Achilles heel in this uh, women's bantamweight division. Um, so, I mean, we'll see how things pan out during fight week, what they look like on the scales. Uh, but i tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, if Amanda Nunes beats Valentina Shevchenko, it'll eclipse any other performance that she's had so far. And that includes winning against Shevchenko the first time around. It'll, for me, it'll be much better than beating Ronda Rousey. It'll be much better than beating Misha Tate. If she beats Shevchenko, where Shevchenko is right now, then um, that'll be the best win of her career. Yeah. Here's a little stat for you. Her last two fights have uh, garnered a million pay-per-view buys. There you go. So, uh, which is kind of interesting. UFC 200, uh, obviously a blockbuster event. Uh, UFC 207, she was fighting Ronda Rousey. Um, I don't know if this one will hit the one million mark. I suspect it'll fall short. Um, But, to me, this is, I, I tend to agree with you, this is the toughest assignment of her career. Now, the issue with the five rounds, I think, remains the biggest thing here. Because, okay, she's been champion for two fights now. Well, she fought in two title fights uh, most recently. But she's done. She, she, she's had them both done inside the first round. So, effectively, there's very little difference. And if you take a look back at her recent record, <coughs> excuse me, since she lost to Kat Zingano by third round stoppage, by the way, um, it's been first round finishes all the way except 
for the fight with uh, Shevchenko first time round. I think Shevchenko can fight to a game plan. I think she will fight smart. I'm 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 putting my money on the table now. Valentina Shevchenko wins this one by late late TKO finish or submission, but I think she gets it done. Yeah, that's a good shout. I mean, you know, it's going to be interesting to see um, both these women kind of play out the media opportunities, what they're talking about, what they're saying, um, how they're mentally prepared for this fight, <coughs> and um, you know, this is going to definitely, like I said, be Amanda Nunes' toughest assignment to date. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to it. Yeah, apologies, by the way, for any really loud coughing in the background. I've got a serious, serious tickle on the throat today. So uh, apologies for that. Co-main event, Yoel Romero, Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whittaker. I'm putting it on the line now. Robert Whittaker knocks out Yoel Romero and becomes the interim middleweight champion of the world. He does it in round three or round four, but he does it. Mark my words, I've put it down there. So go down the bookies as quickly as you can and load up on Yoel Romero. Sandu, who you got? I'm going for Yoel Romero. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad you weren't so gung-ho with your pick and your prediction there as you cough your brains out. Um, look, Robert Whitaker has got everything required to defeat any middleweight. He's got punching power. He's got youth and stamina on his side. Um, he looks great at middleweight. You know, we had a question come in earlier on regarding um, him as being perhaps, you know, the guy that can put Australia on his back, become a UFC champion, and then really tick on from there. And Australia is a massively important market for the UFC, not just from the point of view of holding big events there, but they can hold pay-per-view events there. They can hold FS1 events there and it not interfere with the time zone back in the US, which is that's a home run. That's when you get the best of both worlds. We've seen them come to Europe and parts of Asia where it's uh, an, odd, an ungodly hour both for us and for them. You know, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so on the one side, to be able to have Robert Whitaker as a champion, whether it's an interim or a, or a fully-fledged champion in the UFC, believe me, business-wise, would be fantastic for that Australian market. However, we're talking about the soldier of God. We're talking about a man who defies age, who defies everything as a 40-year-old, as a former Olympian, as, as a guy that's 13-1, and one, undefeated in the UFC. His resume includes former champion Chris Weidman, former Strikeforce champion R Ronaldo Jacare Souza, former UFC champion Lyoto Le Machida, Former Strikeforce champion Tim Kennedy, and the list just goes on and on. Brad Tavares, Derek Brunson. This guy, not just from his performances inside the Octagon, but outside with his interviews and his persona and his personality, he's just become somebody you can't keep your eyes off, Simon. You know, he's someone that you want to look forward to. We last saw him compete um, back in New York last November, um, and it was, in a way, a star-making performance for him because he beat the hometown boy in Chris Weidman, and then he had this wonderful back and forth with Michael Bisping on the mic with his now iconic uh, line where he kind of basically said, what did he say, Simon? It's so <laughs> iconic, I can't remember it. What was uh, his line, was, Simon? I love you, Mike. I love you. And Mike, Mike Bisping's flicking him the double middle fingers and pretending to inject his own ass with steroids. 
and it's all on, it's all captured on split screen. It was on the big screens in the arena, yeah. And every everyone on press row was just in pieces watching it. It was it was TV gold. And uh, yeah, Romero's like, I love you, Mike. I love you. And Bisbing's just giving him lows. And he ended <laughs> it by saying, see you soon, boy. See you soon, uh, boy. <laughs> and um, he's not going to be seeing him anytime soon. But if he wins this fight and becomes the interim middleweight champion, that's certainly going to speed things up in terms of uh, fighting Michael you know, sooner rather than later, depending on obviously what happens with Bisping and his potential uh, future with a, with one perhaps George St. Pierre, which is still yet to be kind of solidified, rectified and discussed and, you know, ironed out, so to speak. But um, I don't know. I, I, for the life of me, Simon, I just can't um, pick against Romero at the moment. I feel as though, yes, Robert Whitaker's got punching power, but so has Romero. But Romero's got the X factor, and that is his Olympic wrestling pedigree. I can see him taking Whitaker down in those first couple of rounds, laying on him, putting in some ground and pound, and then the ref jumping in to wave it off. But I can see where you're coming from, because after those first couple of rounds, the gas tank goes. He's a big, muscular middleweight. And if he can't get it done early... That's when Whitaker, being a guy that's in his mid-20s, being uh, a very comfortable and a healthy middleweight, doesn't have to cut, cut too much to get to that 185-pound weight limit. Um, that's where I think you know, he can you know, really implement his strategy, his game plan. And the longer the fight goes, if, if this goes into the third, fourth, fifth round, then yeah, I'd favor Robert Whitaker. I just have a feeling, though, Romero's going to get it done early. Well, here's the thing, right? They've both got a common opponent in Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Mm. You, Romero and Jacare went the distance in a fight that I thought Jacare won. Um, it was a very closely contested fight. Romero threw everything he could at Jacare. Jacare threw everything he had at Romero. And in the end, the judges gave it to El Romero. Robert Whittaker stepped in there with Jacare and absolutely took him to the cleaners. And it wasn't even close. And that that was the thing that really leapt out to me watching it. Rather than Whitaker going in there and people thinking, okay, he might have a puncher's chance here, that fight wasn't even close. Whitaker went in there and did a job on one of the best middleweights in the world and a guy who's been one of the best middleweights in the world for the best part of a decade. Because Jacare has been there or thereabouts for almost 10 years. And Whitaker went in there nerveless, had the right game plan and absolutely put him away. And at that point, I thought to myself, this is this is a future world champion we're looking at right here. And I genuinely believe that. I think Yoel Romero is very dangerous early on. What you said about his wrestling pedigree and being able to take guys down. Actually, watching Yoel Romero's fights, he doesn't do it that much. And... The only reason I can think of, because it is clearly where he has a huge skill advantage on, 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 on a lot of fighters. I can only assume it's down to, A, he's worried about getting caught shooting in. Or, and I think Brian Stan might have mentioned this in commentary, one of the most energy sapping things you can do in a, in a mixed martial arts fight is an offensive takedown. It, it, it absolutely just empties your gas tank. And if you're if you're Yoel Romero, you don't want to be doing that too often because your gas tank has been shown to be somewhat somewhat shallow. 
Um, he manages to fight through it pretty well, but he's ragged. And uh, you can't afford to be ragged against Robert Whittaker because he will light you up like a Christmas tree. So I think Romero really has got to explode on Robert Whittaker in the first couple of rounds. And I think Whittaker will be too clever for that. I think he'll keep on the back foot. He'll he'll be circling around the outside. He'll make Romero chase him. And then by the end of that second round, they'll be toweling Romero down. They'll be late getting rid of the stall. They'll be spilling water in the corner. You know, they'll accidentally leave a piece of paraphernalia in the corner after going back out. Anything they can to buy their man time. We've seen it time and time again. And as soon as they start doing that, that's when Whitaker has got the upper hand. Then as we get into rounds three, four, maybe even five, if it gets that long, I think Whitaker will take over. Um, and I think I think he's the sharper striker. I think he's the I think he's the better striker. And uh, I think his takedown defense is good enough, good enough to make sure that Romero is shooting out from 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 distance and he can stay out of the way. Um, Jack Array couldn't really do much with him. I don't think Romero will get to do much with him. I think Whitaker will keep it standing. He'll empty the gas tank and then he'll knock him out. Um, and I genuinely think that's what's going to happen. I think Robbie Whitaker will be the interim title. Uh, sorry, the uh, the interim middleweight champ. And it will set up a fascinating contest with Michael Bisbing, which really they've got a hold in Australia. Um, you know, they could go back and do a big arena show, um, a big stadium show even, have the first ever Australian champion. And I've said it for years. When Australia takes the sport seriously, then look out because they are amongst the best sporting nations on the planet. Um, and uh, I think that will really hopefully kickstart um, a real groundswell of uh, of talent beginning to move into the sport of MMA uh, as we go forward. We've got rugby down there is is a huge sport, and a lot of guys that size will move into that. But maybe a few might look to transition into MMA, and I think over the next five or six years we'll start to see some real talent coming out of that part of the world. Um, and it, uh, it'll be in large part due to the success of Robert Whitaker, who I repeat will become the interim middleweight champion on Saturday night. There, I can't be more emphatic than that, Sandy. You might want to just clip this audio out and then kind of play it if he does actually win next weekend. You can tell me I told you so. Yeah, or or you can say, "So have you got that audio when uh, you predicted, <laughs> you know, and when Robert Whitaker gets knocked out in like twenty seconds flat?" But uh, it is going to be one hell of a fight because you've got it's very similar to the main event, isn't it? Where you've got someone who on paper looks quite dominant, but they have shown a tendency to fade as fights go on. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, you've got someone who is a good striker, is undersized by comparison, um, and but, but has got the gas tank and maybe the smarts to drag the, the bigger, more powerful athlete into deeper waters. Um, and uh, I think, I think there, are, you know, there are definitely similarities in the... Uh, in the two matchups, there it'd be interesting to see uh, whose game plan works on Saturday night. Here's a question for you, Sandu: Why mm. is why is Daniel Omilanchuk versus Curtis Blades? And I've checked this. Why is it higher up the card than Fabricio Verdun versus Alistair Overeem? I can tell you exactly why, Sai. Educate me. It's for people in the arena to go and have a piss. <laughs> it's for people in the arena to go and refill on their beer. 
It's for people in the arena to go fill up on their popcorn or their Doritos or their hot dogs or what have you. It's for people watching at home to take a piss. It's for people at home to fill up on their beer. It's for people at home to go to the microwave and get their next round of Doritos all warmed up with their cheese dip and their salsa and all sorts. That's exactly why. Your Spotify playlist, for people that haven't already subscribed to it, so I'm in Spotify playlist with all sorts of MMA and UFC uh, related um, theme songs and uh, entrance songs is called All Killer, No Filler. There is some filler here uh, for this UFC 213 main card. So we did and this, And this fight is that filler. This is for people to kind of take a break, have a comfort break, get some food, get some drinks or what have you, because it's not a fight that I've seen promoted at all. It's not a fight that really has major significance in the heavyweight division. I'm sure it'll be a fine fight for people that want to stick around and watch it. Um, but uh, I think it's just for people to have a bit of a, a break before you get two back-to-back five-round fights. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperately trying to look this up because I I don't know whether this was a late addition or whether Omilanchik was drafted in as a replacement. I can't see any information on it, but it just seems, it does seem strange. It does seem strange. And it makes sense. Your 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 explanation makes total sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, Omil Anchet, we've seen, he's, he's a, a regular in this part of the world. Whenever there is a European fight night, better than average odds, Daniel Omil Anchet is going to be on that card. He's He's been on a fair few of them over the last few years. And, uh, you know, he gets in there and he always puts... He always puts it all on the line. He's uh, he's not the most refined uh, heavyweight fighter you'll see, but he's a, he's uh, he's not the tallest either. But he's he's built like a fire hydrant, um, and he's going in there with Curtis Blades, who looked like an absolute wrecking machine last time we saw him. Do you remember the first time we saw him? I think was in was in Zagreb. I don't, Simon. I don't ah. remember. That's that's the thing. It, he, I, that's no, the... I was there. I was there. I think I might have been one of the first people to interview him actually on Fight Week, and. Uh, he came in, he was, he was the RFA heavyweight champion, Curtis Blades. He's got kind of a cool name. He's Curtis Razor Blades. And uh, he's got a good collegiate wrestling background. But unfortunately for him, his debut was against Francis Ngannou. Uh, and Francis Ngannou um, absolutely just, just busted him up. Um, and the doctor stopped it after two rounds. But um, since then, he's, uh, he's TKO Cody East. The notorious Cody East, um, who uh, has a slightly murky past, shall we say. And people will probably remember that he didn't last too long in the UFC after that. Um, and uh, and then uh, Curtis Blades went in there and absolutely destroyed Adam Milstead. Absolutely destroyed him, only to then test positive from marijuana. Um, that was back in February. He's now back from that from that suspension. So there we go. It's a short suspension. Um, he, he's back now. And uh, yeah, he's in there with uh, Danny Lomilanchuk. And I have a feeling we're going to see a Polish man getting thrown around a bit. Because uh, Curtis Blades is, is is a big, big, strong, excellent wrestler. Um, so if you are one of these people who doesn't need to have a pee when that fight's on, keep an eye on Curtis Blades. But before then... A fight that could quite easily be for a belt on it of, of its own, really. Fabricio Verdum versus Alistair Overeem. The winner gets the champ. The winner gets the winner of Stipe Miocic 
versus Crock. You should do Premier Chiefs fighting next. Has he been booked? Has he been booked? He's up there. Oh no, he's fighting Stipe. He's fighting Stipe because Stipe beat Junior Dos Santos. So the winner gets Stipe. Yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Um, I was watching the Ream last night. Um, the Ream documentary. He's got a new website, Alistair of Ream, and uh, he's got some new episodes of the Ream on there. And uh, he was, I think the uh, the episode I watched was during fight week for Miocic versus Junior Dos Santos. And uh, yeah, Overeem takes on Verdum Saturday night. If he beats Verdum, he's going to be calling for a fight with uh, a rematch indeed with uh, Miocic. Whoever wins is going to be calling for a rematch with Stipe Miocic. But who's going to get that rematch, Sandy? I'm not sure, Simon, because first of all, you've got two of the, the, the greatest heavyweights Ever, not just um, in combat sports, but specifically uh, in, in MMA. The first time these two fought was back in May of 2006 in Pride. And on that occasion, you had Fabrizio Vadum beating Aster Overeem by submission, Kimura. Then fast forward, how many years? Five years forward to June of 2011. And they had a rematch in Strike Force, and it was Alistair Overeem who was the winner, uh, and that by by decision. And now they're going to be fighting again six years later again. And it's so interesting to see two guys fight each over, fight each other over almost a decade, where their skill sets over that period have obviously you know progressed and gotten better and better as time has gone on. And it's amazing that this is the third time they're going to fight, but it's the first time in the UFC. It just shows what a storied story and what a storied history both men have in the sport, having fought for so many different promotions. If I'm honest, I really just I just like where, what Overeem has been giving us over the last couple of years. It's been on the for the most part consistent. I feel as though he's at a stage of his career now where. He just looks more confident and more comfortable in there, you know. I think uh, he's got that kind of ring general uh, thing about him, where he's he's a veteran and he's using that experience. He's got more fights than for, for Doom has, that's for sure. Um, and you know, even for Doom, you know, the the guy just hasn't been fighting that consistently. I mean, the last time he fought was last September, so we're coming up to creeping up to almost a year. And that was a win against Travis Brown, who, let's face it, isn't exactly upper echelon heavyweight anymore these days. Um, and then prior to that was a Steve P. Um, loss at UFC 198. And, and before that was a, it was a year before that when he actually won the title. So looking at since, what, June of 2015, he's only fought three times, lost one. Whereas if you look at Overeem, Overeem's been fighting super, super consistently. Um, especially over that period, to the point where he's not only fought for the title, come off that with a loss, but then rebounded against you know Mark Hunt with a win, and over that same period he's fought you know five six times you know, so I'm favouring Overeem here. Quite how he does it, I'm not too sure. I feel as though he could get a cheeky knockout, but I'm I think I'm going to favour him to get a decision over three rounds. What about you, Sai? Yeah, I think with the three round course, I think I think the decision is probably the safest bet. I'm going for an Overeem win as well. I think I think he might just get it done by KO. I think Fabrizio Verdum is, is is a weird one. Look at his record. His record stacks up with any heavyweight in MMA. 
It really does. You know, you look at the list of people he's beat. Um, it really is remarkable. But what he hasn't been able to do when he picked up that belt when he when you know when he won the title, the hope was that maybe he could go on and really cement his legacy, and he he, he didn't. He got knocked out chasing after Stipe Miocic, um, behaving more as a challenger than a champion. He went running after him. Stipe caught him, knocked him out running backwards, which is a remarkable thing to do. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's come back and he's fought Travis Brown. And as you say, Brown's not the same fighter that he was previously. Overeem, I think, I think this is, this is probably his last, I think it's both of their last crack, really, at becoming a heavyweight champion in, in the UFC. For Vadum, obviously, he can become a two-time champion. For Overeem, he's never won that belt. And I think that's going to be the monkey on his back. Um, until he gets it done, I think he beats. I think he beats Vadum. I think he stops him. <coughs> um, his striking is so much better than Vadum. I think he'll knock him out and uh, book himself in a title shot. I think uh, he's just that little bit too good in the stand up. I think Overeem's biggest weakness is when he gets hit, and I'm not sure Vadum is going to get too many opportunities to do that in this fight. So um, I'm going to pick the Reem. To uh, to win that one and go on and challenge Stipe Miocic for a second time for the UFC Heavyweight Championship of the World. Finally, let's talk about the lightweight fight on the main card. The the, uh, the one that kicks it all off on the main card. Anthony Pettis is back at 155, where he needs to be after a failed experiment at 145. Taking on Jim Miller. This is a tough fight, Sandu. Uh-huh. Who are you going for? I'm not sure. Again, it's a, it's a, it's, there's, a, there's a few fights that we've discussed on this on this week's show, Simon, where I'm just really not sure about. And it might just be one of those things where I make a, a judgment call when I see them weigh in on Friday. With Anthony Pettis, this has to be hitting the reset button on his career, this fight. And he needs a win, and he needs it big time. He's coming back, back up to lightweight after a failed attempt at trying to make featherweight in that interim title fight with Max Holloway. We all know what happened at the end of that fight anyway. And Jim Miller, what a story. This guy always finds himself on some of the biggest stages of the biggest events. UFC 100, UFC 200, UFC 205. And here he is, uh, UFC 213, another big blockbuster event by the UFC during International Fight Week. Tough, tough customer. I think, however, if you're going to put a gun to my head right now, if Anthony Pettis can fire on all cylinders and he can roll back the years, and it's, it's amazing to even say that, given the fact that he's not even that old. But if he can just go back to the Anthony Pettis of, say, three or four years ago, I think he could have Jim Miller's number here. I think if he can keep it on the outside, um, not get into any kind of grappling exchanges, although he's you know not too bad and not too shabby himself, he's got a few submission victories under his belt, um, I just think you don't want to get into a grappling contest with Jim Miller. I, just, I think that's where Jim is, uh, is at his best. So if Anthony can keep on the outside, use his dynamic range of of striking ability with both his hands and his legs, then uh, he might be able to get the job done. He might be a little bit conservative, and I think what you might get out of this is a three-round decision just to get Anthony back in the win, win column. Uh, but if he's going to be Mr. Showtime, then maybe, who knows, maybe uh, his ego will get the best of him. Maybe he will be a little bit, um, I suppose, daring with what he's going to bring to the table, and maybe he'll try and go for that knockout. But I'm picking Anthony Pettis right now as we currently speak by decision. But I want to see how things shake out during fight week and what both men look like on the scales. 
Yeah, this this one for me is all about range and pressure. I think Anthony Pettis, in some respects, has been exposed a little bit insofar as he's he's a superb, superb fighter if you give him room. But if you shut him down, if you shut him down, he really does struggle against the best guys when you don't give him the room to work. Jim Miller has got that sort of game that he can close the distance. He's happy to fight his way in. Um, and if he can fight his way in and stay close, keep it sort of in a phone booth, so to speak, I think Miller can get it done. The thing is, is Pettis going to be dynamic enough fighting off the back foot to catch Miller and pick him apart on the way in? If he's at his best, then he will. But if he isn't, I think Miller will get that distance closed and will we'll start to boss it from up close. Um, I think, you know, the uh, it goes all the way back to when Clay, Clay Greeder beat... Um, Anthony Pettis way back in uh, when was it 2011? Um, he really set the blueprint for how to how to deal with him, smother him, smother his work. Dos Anjos did it and he won. Alvarez did it and he won. Barboza stood right in front of him and outstruck him for three rounds. So that one was a little bit different, but again he did it just by staying right in his face and throwing strikes constantly. Max Holloway did it. Um, and I think that's what we'll try and see from Jim Miller. The question is, has Anthony Pettis adapted his game to fight better off the back foot? Can he can can he keep that range just far enough that he can catch Miller on the way in? He can throw some of those strikes, hands and feet, while going backwards. Um, he has the advantage of being able to do it at his more natural weight. I think we'll see a a, a stronger man in there um he won't be depleted if i was putting money on now i suspect i suspect pettis is the favorite um he's got the name value i suspect he might be a slight favorite and if he was i would i would be tempted to to uh to have a sporting punt on jim miller just because i think he gives you a little bit of value because pettis's form is not great um he hasn't won a fight at 155 pounds uh, since he beat Gilbert Belenders in 2014, so that's a fair that's a fair distance ago. So, so we'll see, we'll see what happened, um, and uh, I think that's going to be an interesting fight. And that one kicks off the main card, Sandu. We've got some Travis Browns on the prelims against Alexi Olinik. That'll be a tricky assignment for him. Chad Laprise, Brian Camosi at welterweight. Tiago Moretta Santos against Gerald Mircha at middleweight. Jordan Main against Bilal Mohamed. Remember the name, Bilal Mohamed. Twitter game is on point, by the way. He's he's one of my favourite follows. One of my favourite one of my favourite MMA follows. Uh, he's taken on Jordan Mean again uh, at uh, at welterweight. Rob Font, Douglas Silva, Andrade, Cody Staman against Terry and Ware, and Trevin Giles versus James Boknovich. Uh, some names that are unfamiliar uh, to uh, to a good few of us, including including a pair of us. Uh, on that fight pass prelim card, so the business really picks up when you get towards the top of that TV prelim card, Sandu. Yeah, it does. And you know, you mentioned earlier on, Simon, that you know fans that are out in in Las Vegas for International Fight Week may want to rock up to the T-Mobile Arena uh, for that tough finale. I've got a sneaky suspicion that if you try and do that on Saturday, there might even be one or two tickets available. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I mean, you look at this card and. Is it screaming a sellout? I'm not too sure, given the kind of 
price ranges that the UFC usually put on a July 4th weekend pay-per-view. So, you know, if you're kind of holding out to see if there might be some tickets available, uh, I think you might be in luck um, this week in Vegas. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, for, for the viewing public around the world, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Simon. I think, you know, that Travis Brown fight uh, at the top end of that uh, preliminary portion of the card, that's an important fight just to find out where is Travis Brown. I mean, it, it, you know, right now he's coming off three back-to-back losses and he needs a win big time. Um, you know, he just doesn't look like, you know, he can hang with the... I mean, look at some of the guys in the heavyweight division now. You've got Francis Ngannou, you've got, you know, even some of the, the veterans that are just improving all the damn time. You know, look at Stipe Miocic. You know, you put him in there with the Travis Brown right now, you know, he'll smoke him. He'll absolutely smoke him. And maybe a part of his decline over the last couple of years has got to be the fact that he moved over to the Glendale Fight Club, you know, and um, before that he was with Jackson Wink and was doing fairly well for himself. So um, we'll see what happens. I think, um, I don't know where he is right now, but I think I did kind of read a few bits and pieces that he hadn't perhaps full time left Glendale Fight Club, but he's been chopping and changing his training. So let's see if we get version 3.0. But yeah, like you said, Simon, that pay-per-view is worth every penny except for that piss break of a fight with Daniel Omelinchuk versus Curtis Blades. Word very quickly about Alexi Olinik. He has had 62 career fights. Now, for a heavyweight, that is just obscene. To be able to have had 62 pro fights, and his, his recent record is absolutely amazing. He's 12-1 and one in his last 13 fights, and all 12 of those wins have come inside the distance. And I think 10 of the 12 have come by submission. So if you want a cheeky sporting bet, get on Alexi Olinik by submission because I think you might get a prize there. Um, he's, got some, he's got some form. Uh, his last two victories against Jared Rochelle and Victor Pester both earned in performance of the night bonuses. One was a first-round KO, and more recently the Pester win was a first-round uh, rear-naked choke submission. So... He might be one to watch out for. I know Travis Brown is the name in that fight, but if you're look if you're looking purely at form, A versus B, then uh, Alexi Olenek is is definitely the man to watch in that fight. So keep an eye out for uh, Alexi Olenek in that one. That pretty much takes us to the end of this week's show. Uh, we've got a packed packed weekend uh, of fights. A couple of back to back late nights. I don't quite know. Uh, how that's going to affect people's Monday because uh, late night Friday night late night Saturday night I'm probably going to be awake anyway baby and all the rest of it so it's not going to worry me too much but it's going to be it's going to be a fun weekend it's going to be a fun weekend Ultimate Fighter Finale Friday night live UFC Fight Pass and then BT Sport UFC 213 Nunez Shevchenko Saturday night early prelims on Fight Pass everything else BT Sport you can subscribe to the Brit Pack uh, via Apple Podcasts, via ACAST, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter at Sandy MMA, at Simon Ed, and the place to go for all your questions, tweet them to at the Brit Pack MMA. Check out the website as well at the Brit Pack MMA.com. That was show number 45. We are hurtling towards that half century. And uh, with your help, we will get there uh, in just a few short weeks' time. Thank you so much for listening, and we will speak to you next week.